back to the past. This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello. Hello. Welcome to a very special Halloween edition of the show, where we will be counting down our top three favorite slasher films of all time. Yeah, that's right. So even though we're going to be releasing new content every other week, we wanted to sneak this one in kind of in between because we all love Hollow's Eve so much and wanted a special episode to illustrate that. However, if you want to listen to some of our past episodes, you can find all of those and more uh, on our website at datingourselvespodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. Before we begin today's episode, we would like to welcome back friend of the show, Bill. Bill, who you may remember from an earlier mini-sode, is the creative juggernaut behind Zoss Films. He will be our special guest this week to discuss our very spooktacular topic. Say hey, Bill. Hey there, guys. And thank you so much uh, you know, for having me on here. I'm always super appreciative of it. And I'm glad that Absolutely. I actually get to do a show with Brian and Adam this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, get the whole team this time. <laughs> Getting the old band back together. <laughs> <laughs> like Adam said, um, I am um, one of the owners and creative um, minds behind Zoss Films. And we do actually have a fan film coming out that's in the genre of horror that Ooh. works out very, very special for this Halloween broadcast. And that will be coming out on um, October 28th. And you'll be able to find that on our YouTube and or Facebook pages. And you can type in Zoss Films. That's Z-O-S Films. And um, it's a pretty obvious logo that's on there. You can click on there and you should be looking at coming out on October 28th. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank, Can't wait. Thanks, Bill. And, and what's, the, what's the name of the, the film? That's going to be Homecoming 2. It's a sequel to another fan film that we had done earlier a couple years ago. And uh, just really trying to keep everything in that genre and having a lot of fun and doing what we're doing. That's that's awesome, awesome to hear, man. Yeah, so we'll definitely put um, the information in our in our show notes, folks. So definitely make sure to check that out. It'll be on the website as well as most likely on the, the podcast app that you're using. Um, but again, really excited to have Bill here today. And uh, thanks for sharing uh, those really exciting updates with us, Bill. Thank you. That's a pretty slick poster you have for Homecoming 2. Where, uh, where did you come across that? Uh, who put that together for you? You know, I had this friend of mine. Um, I think he does a podcast. <laughs> Actually, it was you, Paul. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Actually, the feedback on that poster has been absolutely tremendous. Um, I, I broadcast um, statewide and through the Midwest and many different um, um, film groups. Um of at multiple different levels and everybody is very, very excited and thrilled. Um, I think that poster the first day on one of our Michigan groups that does go statewide got almost 1000 likes on there. So oh, thank wow. you very, very much. Nice. Yes. Nice. Way to go, Paul. Way to go, <laughs> Bill. I'm excited right. to steal it for the cover of this episode so that I don't have to duplicate work. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> Paul does all of our um, podcast artwork as well, too. So fans have already gotten a taste of his flair. Definitely excited to see, because I've actually not seen the poster yet. So I'm looking forward to checking that out after we're uh, done recording this evening. Um, Absolutely. Awesome. Cool, cool. Without further ado, let's get this started. This week, again, we're going to be discussing our top three favorite slasher films of all time. So, guys, like... How do you define a slasher film? Funny you mentioned that. Bill and I were actually just having this conversation. I think <laughs> Bill has a really good theory on this. Okay. 
you know, there, there's many different ways to kind of approach this type of thing, because when you hear slasher, you want to instantly go towards um, things that are penetrative, um, cutting, slashing, of course. But there has to be a twist to this, because one thing I, I, I don't want to re reveal the title unless uh, somebody wants to say it later. Um, but I always feel that the good guy cannot have the weapon in hand. So that disqualifies several other films that I wanted to use myself, but, oh. um, okay. and, and maybe uh, just kind of keep that in your minds as well. But I feel personally that it needs to be the villain stalking with said weapon. That's fair. That makes sense. That's a that, good description. That's interesting. And yeah. I guess that's something that I've kind of been grappling with too, is I feel that most slasher films, there is a like a solitary villain. Like there is there is one antagonist. Um, Correct. Not not always the case. There's definitely a couple exceptions. Um, I know one of my top three is one of those exceptions. So I, I'm putting myself <laughs> a loophole in there. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think that that's kind of the general premise. Is there is somebody who is the slasher or something, or something, or something. that is the slasher. Yeah. And then there's usually a group of people that are um, prey victims to to that. Um, but I, I I definitely like that little level of nuance, Bill. That they're you know if, if everyone's got the weapons, then it's not nearly the same type of film as one person, preferably the villain, being the one who kind of wields all of that power, and the other folks have to get creative with sticks or whatever they can find. Correct. I mean, and there right. was there was one specific film that we were kind of discussing about, and you know the um, protagonist has the weapons, um, and uh, you know the vil the villains nonetheless do not have any. Hmm. And it's uh, very iconic, but we you know I was just kind of discussing with Paul. I'm like, you know, would you do this? And he 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 agreed and was like, no, no, definitely not. It falls into this genre instead because of that reason. Well, I hope okay. that we can chat about that a little bit more later. That sounds really intriguing. It will become an <laughs> I, I am like that very, at very least. Yes, it's a movie I'm, we've all seen without a doubt. I just absolutely. Okay. In I'm case just, like, someone has my brain, it. Like... <laughs> okay. Remember, our topic for next week is already picked. So sadly, we will not be able to visit the Hopper of Imagination this week. Nor will we be participating in. Nostalgia Combat! Love it, love it. I've been wanting to do that for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you got to. That's that's great. <laughs> One of the perks of being a guest, you get to yell Nostalgia Combat with this. Um, but be sure to tune in next time when the fellas and I will be talking the talk about Unreal Tournament. Um, I guess Kill we already... Killtacular. That's right. So speaking of Killtacular, we're going to get this slasher thing started. We haven't really figured out <laughs> who's going to go first. Um, do you guys have any ideas how we're going to decide that? I flip a coin. Flip a coin. I mean, I, I want to make yeah, sure it totally that it uh, works with four people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Heads, tails, or left side, right side. I don't know. I don't know. What... <laughs> There's a top and bottom, and it's circular. It might not work that well. But I want to make sure that we find a good way to get this uh, spooky, jumpy, and likely partially naked discussion started. So, oh, hey. <laughs> Well, being that we are in this horror genre slasher, and we do talk about antagonists, you know, what fits with that itself? It Adam would have to lives. be the mask. Oh. <laughs> 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 
The rest the of us are doomed, but he's like the <laughs> cleanest, most stand-up guy I know. So yes, <laughs> he's he's unaware of everything going on. He's just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm the aloof one in the movie that's like completely unaware anybody's even dying. This is off of my own little world. So if Brian were to walk into a room and there was a body on the floor and then written in blood on the wall, it said your next Brian would dip his finger in the blood and correct your to the proper iteration. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Paul comes Before up with all pitching. the, yeah, my Paul does all the art. I'm the one that's, uh, that's always doing the grammar checks for our show notes. Um, so it sounds like Paul may potentially be the murderer uh, in this case, <laughs> leaving his art misspelled on the wall. Uh, I do just have to throw something in here. And, and I think Brian might be the only one that gets this story. But uh, I would be the one that would be horribly aloof on anything that was going on because I was very interested in the episode of Family Guy. Oh that was no! On the TV. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a story we can't tell on the air, unfortunately. I'll have we to can hear tell about it this once after. and then be promptly canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so I like Bill's idea, though, of. of um, Halloween masks, um, particularly famous ones uh, in movies. Um, so let's each take a turn, pick a mask, and we'll take a popular vote. Whoever has the best one will go first, and then we'll kind of hmm. round robin from there. Sounds good. Sounds great. All right. Who wants to go first? Let's let's give uh, Bill the home field advantage here since he's the guest. You know, I, there's one I would want to take, but I'm I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to go with my favorite one growing up, and that would have to be the classic Scream mask. Yeah. That's a good one. Ghostface Killer. Yep, a little, a little modern, but it's it's iconic and made its place in the top down there. Absolutely. Not everybody right. at once. Yeah, I'd say I'm going to go <laughs> in a completely different direction and go with Jim Carrey's mask in the mask. Ah, all right. Smoking. Well well yeah. Color me shocked. <laughs> right. I'm going to demote myself to last place because I think probably, if I'm lucky, maybe Bill has seen this movie. I'm going to go with the Frankenstein mask from Death Race 2000. Ooh. Have not seen that. Nice. Yeah, have not seen I, that. I do know the mask. I've only, I have not actually <laughs> seen that movie yet, but I do know what you're talking about. Yes. All right. Uh, mine, I'm going to have to go with, I don't know if this would necessarily count as a mask per se, but it's very iconic, uh, is the Hellraiser dude's Ooh. head. Oh, Pinhead? Which one? Pinhead, <laughs> yes. Pinhead, yes, gotcha. Yes. Pinhead, yes. I forgot the name. Temporary. I think. Just because yours isn't a mask, and I've never seen Paul's, and it'd be douchey to vote for my own, I'm gonna have to go with Bill's. Uh. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> give, See, give I me. wanted, I wanted to vote for Adam, but yeah, it's not really Ooh. a mask, is it? It's mm. not really a mask. There, there are masks in the Hellraiser series, but Pinhead himself is not one that is. Well, and you um, can BDS buy. <laughs> you can you can buy a Pinhead uh, mask. You can That's buy a Donald Trump mask this. though too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go with Leatherface. Speaking of which, didn't. Oh yeah. <laughs> but wearing other people's faces, that would have been a good one. Um, I know, I know. All right, so what's going to happen is Bill is going to go first. So each of us are going to do our top. Num like our number three and we'll go round robin and then we'll do number two so so bill <laughs> why don't you start us off what, what's your uh what's your third of your top three 
Well, I'm actually going to start this off a little, uh, a little strong, Ooh. and I'm surprised nobody actually picked this mask at all. And I'm actually going to pick pick a specific film from the series, and I'm going to go with Halloween Two from oh, 1981. Yeah, I'm surprised none of you guys picked Michael Myers of everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, figured William it was Shatner... going to be taken, so I came up with something else. <laughs> you picked last. I know. I, know. <laughs> I just want to remind the folks here. You he was busy last. watching Family Guy. That's what happened. Dang it. <laughs> but no, yeah, as I said, uh, I, I, I specifically like the second one. Everyone knows the, the Halloween genre, Michael Myers, um, the the child who murdered his family and coming after his sister. Started a public uh, access show in, this, you know, this in Aurora, This one was just stylistically <laughs> something that I... I think that's a different Mike Myers. Oh, different Mike Myers, sorry. I was just talking about Wayne's World, it's fine. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, as I was saying, um, you know, stylistically, this is something that I really loved more because it was an enhancement of the original one. It was, it was a true sequel, and it actually follows directly after the first one. But the, the budget level and everything just enhanced everything. The kill styles were something that were just a little bit extra. The lighting was something that I enjoyed a lot more and gave a nice continuation to the story to the first one that really did leave on a cliffhanger ending there. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the the kill count is definitely something higher than the first film. Um I don't remember the numbers themselves, but I do believe the first film was three kills where mm-hmm. the second one jumps up to seven or eight, which is already wow. something that is something that is uh, something I look for in a slasher. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, of course, you do have that classic antagonist. You have the Michael Myers mask. Um, a funny thing about Halloween, too, and I'm not sure if any of you guys know this at all, but the Halloween series itself was meant to be an anthology film. Um, I've, I've actually heard that, yeah. So each one would be kind of a separate story, like correct, yeah. Yeah, and that's why the third oh, Halloween does not actually have Michael Myers in it. They try to actually oh, continue okay. that on there, but Michael Myers was such a hit and such a driving force to the success of that series that they followed that up immediately with Halloween two. And then obviously we could see how that played out in the third one where they instantly bring back Michael Myers for Halloween four. But right, right. <laughs> I mean, what is Halloween without Michael Myers at this point? But, right. Right. I've watched know. Halloween three at least four times and I still can't tell you what it's about. <laughs> I can't tell you either. I've seen it maybe exactly. twice. Maybe it's not twice. memorable at all, and it's no. it's painful. Yeah. So, but, did you know that the Michael Myers mask is a William Shatner mask painted white? I <laughs> yeah. did. It is. Yeah, they, they, they bleached it, didn't they? Yeah, and they, that's why the hair's all crazy too. Is it's all bleached? I thought that was a Mariah Carey mask, or at least that's what I'm seeing on social media nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Very fitting. <laughs> But uh, well, yeah. that's a good opener. It's going to be hard to Absolutely. follow that one. Okay, all right. My number three was Leprechaun in Space. Ah, oh, yes. Is, <laughs> this is a film that uh, me, Brian, and Paul actually watched a few months back. Uh, one thing we do sometimes just to 
uh, you know, get a chance to hang out. Because, like, the three of us, as we've mentioned before, live in varying different areas of the country, um, especially when I was living down in Texas. So we were all kind of spread out. So one thing we would do is we would uh, go online and we would chat with each other and watch uh, bad movies and just laugh about how bad the movies were. And uh, Leprechaun in Space was one of the movies we watched. And I remember just being in tears from laughing so hard at at the movie. But it's a great series anyway. So if you've never seen any of the Leprechaun movies, it's pretty self-explanatory. There's an evil little Leprechaun that's played by Warwick Davis, who you'll know from like the Harry Potter films, and I believe he was in some of the Star Wars films and stuff like that. He skipped Willow. Yeah, I say he was in Willow, Willow. too. He was Willow, Willow. yeah. You can't skip Willow. (laughs) That's right. I apologize. For all that is holy. (laughs) So, uh, he plays this evil little leprechaun that goes around killing people. Uh, in the first one, he just kind of, like, shows up and starts killing people, and I believe that was Jennifer Aniston's first film? Mm-hmm. That but, was her first uh, big film, yep. yep. Yeah. But, uh, the, the leprechaun in space, surprisingly, as the title gives away, is takes, uh, takes place in space. So they're on this, like, space station, and just some of the memorable moments from that include him taking a silver serving platter oh, and, yes. <laughs> and launching it at somebody's face and it hits him in the face and then it cuts back to this amazing claymation of the guy's face completely flattened as he's pancake trying to say oh yeah saturday Definitely. morning cartoons wiley coyote pancake very slapstick style. very slapstick. yes <laughs> no, absolutely absolutely i i couldn't breathe when i saw that the first time i was laughing so hard um and then there's another part where like the there's a breach in the hull of the ship and mm-hmm. for whatever reason it makes the leprechaun grow gigantic to you know he goes from being like three feet tall to all of a sudden being like 20 or 30 feet tall and he's trying to go after these people on the ship but the there's the whole series is great but in particular uh, leprechaun in space always stood out to me as the interesting one of that. The other one being Leprechaun in the Hood, but I'll... Leprechaun in the Hood is a classic. (laughs) Since you brought up Leprechaun, because it was going to be on my list, but I'll just, since we're talking about multiple, I'll just let it go under this and I'll grab another one. But do you guys know that the premiere of the first Leprechaun was actually in Grand Rapids, Michigan? No, I I didn't. It was at Studio 28. The yep. actual world premiere for that movie was at Studio 28. Wow. Do you know That's who taught so me that? I think was this, it me? This podcast taught me that, <laughs> it actually. Was yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> in the interview you two guys did together, yes. that was discussed. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about. Like, Grand Rapids, Michigan is a, is a medium-sized city, and Wyoming is a suburb of that medium-sized city. And it's hard to believe that for, like, 15 or 20 years, the biggest movie theater in the entire world was in Wyoming, Michigan. Like, it's just crazy. It was, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, it was. had a ton of screens so they could play all sorts of uh, movies there. But what was really unique about it is it was kind of broken off into different corridors. So you'd go down, like, one corridor and there'd be uh, the whole, like, the ticket counter and the concession stand and all that. And then there'd be a bunch of theaters around that one. And then there was a whole nother offshoot 
of corridors that went in a different direction. You had the same thing. It was really yeah. cool. It's almost like an airport with different terminals, basically. It really yeah. was. Yeah. And yep. then, and then yep. there was like a middle area where there's a huge arcade. Um, I yes. That was the first time I ever played Killer Instinct and Primal Rage. Oh, nice. Uh, area 51. X-Men for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. X-Men Arcade was there for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and they actually did like a thing uh, that was really cool, too, for birthday parties if you went there you got to like see a movie and then they'd bring you up and show you around the uh like projection rooms and stuff like that it was really cool i remember doing that for a friend's birthday and we got to see anastasia and then go up and see the projectors and stuff like that it was really cool that's awesome that's awesome yeah so um my favorite part about leprechaun 4 in space is that deb dunning uh, better known as Heidi the Tool Girl from Home Improvement, was yes. in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about yep. that. Yeah. She, she was... Uh, I, I don't think there was anybody prettier other than... I don't know. Maybe the Pink Ranger and Alex Mack. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> You're forgetting Pamela Anderson, who was Pamela also Anderson a Tool was the first Tool Girl. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I thought Heidi was, was much hotter, but that's just me. That's just me. Maybe. She actually, had, she actually had she actually had lines that that made that help. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, true. that's true. I'm just picturing Baywatch in my head. <laughs> Paul, Paul, come back to us. Come back to us. <laughs> One moment. It's a long intro while she's running down the beach. <laughs> well, if I could reveal something about the Leprechaun series, is that that's actually probably my top favorite horror genre series like long running i mean there's other ones that are shorter that are you know have two or three but that is just because of the outrageous silliness of it and especially the one of um in space and my favorite my personally my favorite part of that is when the captain is revealed the person that's kind of the mastermind behind the whole thing and he is actually on ship and you realize that he's a half human half (laughs) weird cyborg thing and he's he's got this weird german accent and it's just it's just I, I can't say too much without getting a little profane, but nonetheless, it just it fits perfect. And that whole the absurdity of that series is something that I've loved so much about. Oh yeah, agreed. I, agreed. I think the first one I ever actually saw, thanks to Paul, was Leprechaun in the Hood, and you're I mean you nailed it on the head. It's so absurd, but it's so good. A friend with weed is a friend in need. <laughs> Amazing. I just can't imagine Warwick Davis saying that. It, it's it's so hard to picture that. He did six of them because he didn't have to act. They just filmed him on the street and called it a day. <laughs> just put a buckle on his hat and he's good to go. <laughs> so my number three... Um, is a 1984 movie based on a Stephen King short story. Any ideas? Uh, Maximum Overdrive? No, it's based in Nebraska. Here's a big hint. Uh, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Children of the Corn. Damn, oh, why did okay. I not think of that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I actually completely forgot that was a Stephen King novel. Yeah, so the, the actual story itself was written by Stephen King. The screenplay, however, was written by George Goldsmith, and then it was directed by Fritz Kirsch. Um, there's some um, 
it's a really interesting movie for those who have never seen it. It ended up spawning a bunch of sequels that were pretty god awful. Um, yeah. But the particular movie, it's about this young guy and his girlfriend, and he is just finishing up medical school. So he's got this residency um, on the West Coast. So he has to drive across the country, and on the way, he thinks that he runs over a kid. But it turns out the kid was dead before he even hit him. And luckily, his education taught him to what to look for. Um, it's like, oh, I didn't kill him. <laughs> like, But they then had to get to the bottom of what was going on. So they get to this little town in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, where there's literally nobody um, except for a bunch of kids. And you find out that the kids are being led by this guy. Um, I want to say his name is Isaac. I wrote yes. it down somewhere. Yeah, Isaac. He's p- played by John Franklin, which I didn't realize until about... I watched this movie about a month ago, and I didn't realize until then that John Franklin was a, was a grown-ass man. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, five, he's five foot tall, but he was like almost 40 when he filmed the role. Um, and I was just like, man, that... And he's kid, supposed to be like 16, right? Yeah, and like, man, this kid is a phenomenal actor. Oh, my God. Like, he's... Like, the reason is he's had like, you know three lifetimes of how old he's supposed to be to to do that but he basically apparently is like an oracle and he he hears the word of god which they call the the one behind the rose yeah it's just a movie about these kids that are killing adults so when these two strangers are in town and they're not sure what to do with this other kid's dead body it's uh it's intense there's some great folks in that movie, though. Um, Peter Horton played Bert. He hasn't really been in anything else, but um, <laughs> but Linda Hamilton was in both uh, the first two Terminators. She was Sarah Connor, uh, as well as in Dante's Peak. And then uh, Courtney Gaines was this guy that played Malachi, so he was kind of Isaac's right-hand man, and he was in Back to the Future as Dixon, um, and then a couple, oh, okay. couple other movies as well. So yeah, the crazy red hair. Um, mm-hmm. He's making fun of uh, Marty McFly's dad for having the yeah. having the kick me sign on his back or whatever. Right. <laughs> that movie, the budget for it was eight hundred thousand dollars U.S. Ooh, really? And the just wow. the just the U.S. gross was fourteen point five million dollars. Um, yeah, I'd say they made their money back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's like deep throat money. Right <laughs> You know well, what? I guess for the uneducated, <laughs> it was an adult film, but they they toured with the adult version and an R-rated cut for standard cinemas, and the movie was made for like a thousand dollars, and it went on to make millions. Yeah, God, I do not know if it I was, would want to go to see like an R-rated version of that film. I don't know if I would want to go to a movie theater to watch an adult film with that, other people. That's exactly kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, guys, like, that'd be weird, right? my wife and her friends did not go see 50 shades of gray that's for sure (laughs) that's that's a fair point why is everybody saving a seat in between (laughs) why is there two seats in between bill (laughs) (laughs) on either side Uh, oh they got dark i i digressed way too far i apologize so I am struggling for what to choose for my number three because Leprechaun was the first Leprechaun movie was my original number three, but I am going to have to go with a lesser known film, but is near and dear to my heart. And that is Jack Frost from 1997. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
Jack Frost is a movie about a killer snowman. Yep. <laughs> yep. It was directed by Michael Cooney, and it takes place in the fictional town of Snow Moten. <laughs> and a truck carrying a serial killer on his way to death row uh, crashes into a truck that has uh, genetic material and it causes his body to mutate and fuse into a snowman that allows him to turn into water and snow and move around the town and create general mayhem so a, a less um teen crushy type of alex mack is what you're saying Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very much so. Um, Scott McDonald played uh, Jack Frost, the killer, and um, Christopher Alport played the sheriff who was trying to hunt him down. Kind of, they tried to do almost like a Halloween style where the sheriff would be like the Dr. Loomis character and Jack Frost would be like the escaped mental patient or escaped convict. They tried for that. They did not achieve it. It is a hilarious attempt at a movie. So um, when, you you say, a chance... when you say Scott McDonald, <laughs> that is Shooter McGavin, uh, right? No, it's his brother. Oh, okay. Christopher McDonald is Shooter McGavin. And then there's Norm McDonald. And then there's Norm McDonald. Scott McDonald is the lesser known youngest brother. I see. Wait, Norm McDonald is related to those guys? If you visualize them in your head side by side, you'll see it. Wow. Scott and Norm look much closer together than uh, Shooter McGavin. Wow, that's crazy. I never realized that they were related. And then I can't think of the woman who was, who was Nadia in American Pie. I can't think of the actress's oh, name. Yeah. But she was billed as starring in this movie and she is in it for all of maybe 30 seconds where she is in a bathtub for a brief gratuitous nude scene as is required of the genre. <laughs> Beautiful. And uh, the snowman uh, comes in through the water pipe while she is filling the bathtub and then he proceeds to freeze her in place and stab her to death as she sits in her bathtub. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> nice. Awesome. My, my memory of this film, I've never actually seen it in its entirety. I've seen that scene particularly. Why? Well, you know, <laughs> children. But, <laughs> but additionally, as growing up, that when that film was released, I was still far too young to be allowed to watch that stuff. And going through, rest in peace, Blockbuster. Oh, um, yes. Mm. Let a candle, folks. Let a, let a candle. <laughs> <laughs> Moment of silence. Yeah. And we're good. Okay. <laughs> but see, seeing the Jack Frost um, cover, and it was one of those um, holographic covers where it yeah. was where it was the snowman by itself with you know the smiley coal face smile and the 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 carrot nose, and when it twisted, the mouth would turn into fangs and yep, just eyes I remember that too. Yep. Oh yep. my god, yeah, that that's really my memory of it. But. <laughs> so when Blockbuster went out of business, I bought the VHS tape purely for the cover, and it is on the shelf behind me. <laughs> nice, that's so amazing. Well, I know what I'm borrowing from you now. Yeah, let's say we'll definitely want some pictures for social media. That's awesome. I've I oh, feel sure. like this is a, a running thing, though. If you listen to the show often enough, I feel like somehow Paul always has these things like ready to go. 
Like, the VHS is right behind me, or the CD is sitting right next to me. <laughs> I think or... the only exception was the uh, the T-Rex from Dino Riders with the brain box. <laughs> Which... oh. That, unfortunately, is in uh, Kokomo, Indiana, yep. and I cannot yep. afford it. <laughs> well, great. Well, I think that gets us to our second round. So, uh, Bill, why don't you get us started off? Yep, I'm, a, I'm actually going to dig a little deep on this one. And, oh, okay. Um, this is definitely near my top and it's actually a french film when it was released in america it was called high tension hmm. and if hmm. any of you have ever seen it but when it was released in the united kingdom and in france it was known as the switchblade romance it's released in 2003 as a horror film by director alexandra ajay um it was picked up from independent distributor into um lionsgate when it was picked up in 2003 from a successful run at the toronto international film festival originally it was um rated nc-17 which if anybody knows anything about distribution in the united states yeah nc-17 very is limiting a yeah killer yeah it's a very limiting um, they ended up Lionsgate was able to re-edit it and make it an R rating and really was hoping and redubbed the film. So it was um, redubbed in English. Um, so they did two of the biggest things that they needed. But one thing that they did wrong was over market. And they ended up spending $14 million to oh. open this film oh. up. And, only gr- and for a foreign film, you're already looking at terrible numbers and only grossed about 3.6 million when it was all said and done wow (laughs) but oh that's brutal but that being said such an amazing beautiful piece of the horror genre the slasher genre the um the twist type of stuff um and what the film was really about was this girl named marie and her friend alex we're going to Alex's um, parents' house for a weekend, of course, and they were going to do some—they <laughs> were going to do some studying. And there's a knock at the door that night, and there's a guy at the door who ends up being a serial killer, ends up killing all of um, Alex's family. Um, obviously, some chases ensue. Um, Alex is kidnapped. There's a bunch of stuff that ends up um, kind of happening. There's a little bit of chasing, and Marie is following her friend while chasing the serial killer. Well, not to give you the whole synopsis of everything, but when everything is all kind of said and done, it's finally revealed that Marie herself is a murderer and is delusional and is in lesbian love with her friend, Alex. Um, And it is the final 15 minutes of this film is some of the most insane, graphic, amazing editing, um, it's you kind of like I said you have to get past the fact that it's a French film. Um, you can get the dub version, obviously. It is definitely heavily on the end of gratuitous violence and sexuality. Um, definitely on the sexuality end of things early on. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's just for me, it just really stuck out, and I I just really love that name, Switchblade romance it just it sticks out to me so hard i love it yeah that's really cool yeah, that sounds awesome i picked up on the sexuality by the term studying i knew <laughs> where you were going there <laughs> oh, i did a huh? lot of studying in college <laughs> oh my <laughs> oh that's too funny so none of you guys have seen or heard of high tension at all no i don't think nope. so 
I think I might have to check this out, though. It sounds I, like a really at interesting the, film. At the very least, give give the trailer a watch. You know, at mm-hmm. least do that much. And it, it really is um, going to go down as one of the more iconic pieces of slasher cinema going forward. Nice. Very nice. That's awesome. So I think that takes us to my pick then. Uh, my pick number two is one that fits uh, kind of loosely into the slasher film uh, s- series, but I would still definitely say it is a slasher film at its core. Is core, it a Guns N' Roses though- music video? Yes. Because <laughs> Slash is in that. <laughs> he is. Okay. You are correct. You're definitely not wrong. Right. Now, uh, mine fits into a bit more of like a paranormal form of slasher film, and it is... Really, I I had I struggled between this one and my number one to on which I was going to pick for number one, uh, but my number two I have to go with Final Destination. Uh, so Final Destination was a uh, movie that came out in two thousand, and the premise was pretty simple. Uh, it starred uh, quite a few interesting people. Uh, there was Devin Sawa who was, like, up to that point, mostly just, like, a child actor. I forget what he was in before that. Uh, But he was in it. Uh, Allie Larder was in it as the main female protagonist. Uh, You had Sean William Scott, a.k.a. Stifler, from the American Pie series. Dude, where's my car? (laughs) Uh, Dude, where's my car? Yep. And a few other people, uh, Amanda Detmer and Kristen Clokey and... uh, a few other people. The other big one, though, for this is Tony Todd, who, who Candy is Man. like... What's that? Candyman. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, he's like a horror film icon for playing Candyman, who I'm not going to talk about that because I, I don't know if it's going to come up in anybody else's. Uh, but uh, Tony Todd in the movie plays the coroner and plays like the creepy dude uh, in the film. But essentially the premise of this movie is that all of these uh, people, uh, Devin Sawa, Ali Larder, Sean William Scott, all them, are high schoolers that are going on a educational trip to France. So they're uh, going to take one of those trips where they go over and learn French and do all that kind of stuff while they're there. They get on the plane and you find out uh, like a couple seconds into it that uh, what ha- happens ends up initially being a dream but Devin Sawa has this premonition that the plane's going to crash and he can see it all happen, like unfold and stuff like that. And so he panics and uh, gets off the plane. Well, because he's saying that the plane's going to blow up and all that, they force several of the people off because Sean William Scott's character gets up to yell at him. Uh, Devin Sawa's friend gets up to try and help him and all that. So they get off the plane. One of the teachers, one of the two teachers gets off the plane. And as they are arguing over what happens, there's a big explosion in the background and the plane has blown up. One of the friends dies, the friend that helped out Devin Sawa's character. And very soon after they figure out, and this is kind of how it fits into the slasher film genre, is that like the big thing is death has a design like if you're supposed to die and you cheat death then death's going to come after you and so in this movie even though you don't actually see the antagonist the the slasher the serial killer or whatever uh it still operates exactly like a uh, a slasher film you have this character who in this particular instance is just more of a concept of death coming after these kids 
and killing them all in very over-the-top ways. And I remember this movie, like, scared the living crap out of me when it first came out. Because I was already a bit of a... (laughs) Like, I was a bit of an iffy flyer anyway. Because, like, the first flight I ever took was on a TWA flight. Not too long after the TWA flight 800 or whatever blew up. So that wasn't a great start to my flying experience. And then, (laughs) uh, you know, I was just always an iffy flyer anyway. And then after seeing this movie... It took a lot of strength to get through any flights uh, now, because I was always freaking out about that. Now, was but. the first um, Final Destination, was that the one with the log truck, too? Uh, that was the second one. Because uh, similarly, that still freaks me out to this day. Like, I will not yep. follow behind a truck that's carrying a bunch of logs or, like, telephone poles because there's a scene in, in the movie where one of the straps comes undone and all the logs fall out and kills the guy behind them. Um, it's like, yeah, that. <laughs> he gets, I would I would say, like, impaled, but that's not really a good enough definition of it because it, like, goes through, like, his entire head and, like, upper body uh, gets, like, crushed by this giant log as it's coming off. But, yeah, that one I'm, like, really iffy about, too. If I'm driving on the highway, especially... Uh, you know, for the last six years or whatever, every year I had to make a 1200 mile trip from Texas back to Michigan and Michigan back to Texas. And anytime I saw any log trucks or any trucks carrying like steel beams or anything like that, I would gun it to like about 85, 90 if I needed to even like over that to get around that truck, because I was not hanging out to find out what happened if that log log or uh, beam or whatever came loose <laughs> but uh yeah the movie i mean has some great scenes uh you know it starts off pretty basic the first one that gets killed after the flight does so because he slips in the shower and uh his neck gets wrapped up in one of those little wire uh towel hangers that you, you see at like i've never seen them in a home it's usually like at a hotel or something they're like those little ones you can stretch out across and throw your towel across right right so he he gets he gets strangled by that uh but then the deaths get like increasingly gruesome uh throughout the film one of them in particular was sean william scott uh stifler from american pie he's yelling about how uh he needs to stay away from one of the guys because death's coming for this guy next well one of the concepts that was introduced in the film is if uh, you're supposed to die and somebody saves you, then that person automatically becomes the next one to die. So Sean William Scott had saved this guy from a pretty grisly death via train. And then he, and does he get hit by a bus or something or what ends up happening? No, 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 that's the, uh, a girl, the, um, boy, the girlfriend, actually it's the girlfriend of the guy that Sean William Scott saves in that particular scene. Uh, she's telling somebody they can drop dead and walks into the middle of uh, the road and gets hit by a bus, which That's is right. That's right. one of my favorite scenes from that one. Uh, but with Sean William Scott, he like saves the guy. He was about to get hit by a train, and he quick uh, runs and grabs him and gets him off the track in time. And he goes, you're crazy. Uh, I can't be around you anymore. Death's coming for you next, forgetting that it's going to skip uh, that guy now and go to him. And as the train is passing... It shoots a scrap of steel that was on the train track and cuts Sean William Scott's head off like 
literally in the middle of his head. It would be like basically between his uh, upper jaw and lower jaw. It like just cuts it off and you see his body just kind of wiggle around and then fall, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. And then it ends on a great cliffhanger because this uh, actually the again, the guy that got saved in that scene. He's uh, finally makes it to France after the events of the movie unfold, and he's standing there, uh, or sitting at a cafe, and a couple of the characters run into each other, and they start to get this weird feeling, and then the guy stands up, and you see this giant sign, like a big lighted uh, marquee sign, basically, fall off this building, and then as it's about to hit him, everything goes to black. But it was such a great film. And, and the whole series is amazing, too, but the first one was always my, my favorite. You know, the second one has the log truck scene, which was amazing. Yep. Um, there's one, I, I think it's in the second one, too, where a guy's head gets impaled by one of those, uh, like, drop-down fire ladders from, oh, yep. like, in New York yep. when you're coming down, like, the fire a escape. fire yeah. escape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that brings us then to Brian's number two. So, Brian, what was your number two choice? So, um, Bill kind of brought this up earlier, but my number two is Scream, the the very first Scream film, 1996. Um, This film, I think I saw either in 90... I guess it must have been 97, because the movie came out in, like, December. So this would have been... We rented it over Halloween, um, and we had a bunch of people, uh, I think there's probably like eight of us. We all went trick or treating together in 97, I guess I would have been about 11 years old. Um, oh, that's way too young. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Your parents oh, yeah. are terrible people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. So I, was gonna say, I saw it in theaters, so I don't know what that says about my family. You saw, you saw RoboCop <laughs> two in theaters yeah. as well. As a family. <laughs> that's amazing. As well as Scream. We saw Scream as a family as well. So one I of actually the, saw Scream with my parents in the theater too. I say one of the guys that was at this uh, movie watching on Halloween to see Scream um, his family did a family outing to go see a movie based in Grand Rapids called American Pie. Yeah. And it's like, but do you remember when that movie came out? Like we were like 10 <laughs> yeah. and he went yeah. with, and yep. he went with his mom to go see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's based in Grand Rapids. That's why they were so excited it's, to see it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cultural experience. And then the guy boinks up. Now pie. I want to go to Yesterdog. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we got to take a trip to Yesterdog soon. Yes, we do. So anyway, Scream came out in 1996. Um, it was directed by the legendary Wes Craven, who's been known for movies yes. like uh, People Under the Stairs, Swamp Thing, and some movie about Elm Street and dreams and shit. Um, yep. Never heard yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, for those of you who are playing along at home, uh, with Freddy Krueger, one of the most iconic horror characters of all time. Um, Wes Craven is one of the best iconic horror directors, writers, creators of all time as well. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. Hands down. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so the movie, um, I guess I placed it so high on my list because the movie was very meta. So the whole thing was was about (laughs) horror movies, right? And all of the cliches that happened. So... You know, if someone says they'll be right back, they always get killed. If someone goes up the stairs to escape from the killer, you know, there's nowhere to run. They always die. Or the the damsel in distress, uh, you know, runs outside, but then, of course, yep. like, twists her ankle, falls down. Right, right, exactly. Um, and the movie was just so 
um, like the very first scene, uh, they've just they just grip you right from the very beginning where this girl answers a call, you know, on landline, you know, so it has no idea where the call's coming from, no caller ID, and some creepy and guys. A at that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was actually going to bring that up earlier. Paul mentioned that a main build character got killed off right away in uh, Jack Frost. And that was the same thing here. Like Drew Barrymore was very much billed as being the lead star in this of film. the movie. Yeah. In, yeah, in her prime too. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. And then she gets a call, and this guy's like, "Do you like scary movies?" And she's like, who is this? And and she ends up. Um, I think the words that the killer uses later in the show gets gutted like a fish uh, in the yep. in the front yard, <laughs> and her parents are coming home from the movies or something like that, and she's hanging in a tree completely like like you would a deer basically uh, to drain it. Yeah, it's uh, this movie because of the timing that it came out was like it was one of the first slasher movies that I had ever seen, at least you know the actual like. Not like on FX or USA or something like that, where most of the violence has been edited out. So, edited out, yeah. And so, like I like I mentioned, we rented a bunch of these movies, and there was like eight of us that all went trick-or-treating together, and six of us ended up coming back to my house, and the other two left because they had very elaborate costumes, so they had to go change those back at home before they could come back to my parents. And uh, right in the middle of like this really tense scene... They start banging on the back slider door, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the curtains are drawn. And says, "We have no idea who it is." Like Jesus, like <laughs> so good, so good. Um, well, what, one thing I wanted to kind of go back to that you mentioned already. I feel like this is what I actually uh, this was going to be my number one. So I'm going to have to do a little digging here in a minute. But this is uh, the reason why this was going to be my number one. Uh, you said the movie was very meta. It was very much intended to be kind of a send-up of the uh, the slasher film genre, like going with all of these typical tropes and uh, things that happen, like you mentioned, the girl twisting the ankle or going upstairs or I'll be right back. But what was so amazing about it is that while it was a spoof of the horror genre and the slasher genre, it wasn't like the uh, scary movie series where it was just a comedy and it was goofy and over the top. Right. It was actually like a legitimately good slasher film, but it yes. also did double duty as being a send up of itself. And and that really persisted throughout the entire series in such an amazing way. Like it made that like that actually is probably one of my not even just favorite horror film uh series that might actually be in like my top five favorite movie series of all time because it was wow. so genius how Wes Craven. At least up that. to four. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I never right. saw four. Uh, I'll, I'll, You're better for it. I, I'm talking, yeah. I, when I'm talking about this, I'm solely talking about the original trilogy. So Screams 1 through 3. Uh, I would say those are in some of my top favorite movies just because of how brilliant Wes Craven was at turning this into not only a legitimate film, but also a spoof of the types of films that it was successfully being. I think that's just unbelievably cool. Absolutely. Yes. And there are some great names in this movie, too. So, I mean, David oh, Arquette was um, at the peak of his career. 
you know, yep. Courtney Cox, who had been, you know, on Friends as Monica. Um, mm-hmm. And the two of them end up getting married because they met each other in this role. But then the star, like the true star, wasn't Drew Barrymore. She was only in the movie no. for 10 minutes. But It was Rose McGowan. Yeah. Ne- <laughs> Nev-, Nev Campbell, get out of here, get out of here. It was, it was Nev Campbell, um, yes. who, other than yes. this role, was most famous for being in one of Paul's favorites, uh, Party, Party, Party of Five. five. <laughs> you know who else was on Party of Five? Who's that? Jennifer Love Hewitt. Rose McGowan and Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's just something to think about in the future countdown. <laughs> now, this is another movie that really made a ton of money. Uh, it was a $14 million budget, which is basically the entire earnings of Children of the Corn. So, I mean, they put a lot of money <laughs> into the movie, but it earned $173 million globally. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it didn't do too shabby. I mean, that's more than 10 times, um, you know, the Hold investment. I, I'd be the investment was right. We- I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention two of the most important actors that were in this, which were Skeet Ulrich and Matthew, and Matthew Lillard. Lillard. Yeah, yeah uh, that's yes. true. Yeah, and, and they actually have one of my favorite scenes in the film, and it actually <laughs> apparently was completely by accident. So uh, a little bit of a spoiler here. So if you've never seen it, you might want to plug your ears or something for a second. But it's revealed near the end of the movie that those two were working together as the killer and they're coming up with this plan of how to take the blame off of themselves and so what they decide is that they're going to stab each other uh like a little bit like not to hurt each other but just you know you know give a little stab so it looks like they've been attacked so that the the suspicion is taken off of them and not too much blade just the tip (laughs) (laughs) so so uh matthew lillard stabs uh, Skeet Ulrich's character and then Skeet Ulrich takes the knife and stabs Matthew Lillard and he goes deep on that one and like cuts him pretty hard and probably intentionally trying to kill him uh, so that he would get blamed for it but uh, Matthew Lillard's character is sitting there and he's like oh man my mom's gonna be so mad like when she finds (laughs) out that I got murdered Uh, and, and then there's a part where uh, Skeet and Matthew Lillard are arguing, and apparently this was completely by mistake, but they were on the phone, and they get into this argument, and, and Skeet Ulrich hits Matthew Lillard in the head with the phone because there was so much fake blood on his hand <laughs> that when he went to do something, he threw it at Matt Lillard's head, and Matt Lillard just turns around and he goes, Hey! You hit me in the head with a phone, you dick! (laughs) While he's bleeding out. (laughs) And this was long before Matthew Lillard had uh, come to his current comfortable role of playing Shaggy from (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Yes. Yes. I I do find it ironic that the man who wore a mask to terrorize teenagers now makes his living uh, playing Shaggy from (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Taking off the masks Taking off of other people. Masks. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like a terrible life. You're right, Paul. <laughs> Who would want to do that? <laughs> the other thing I was going to point out, because I feel like we failed to mention this, is that Henry Winkler was in the movie, too. The Fonzie. Yes. Yes. Oh, yep, yeah, he, played, he was. He, plays, yeah, he was the principal who yep. died. Yeah, he, he, got, he done got messed up. Now that you mention it, because I hadn't thought about this in like 20 years, and then you bring it up, I love that when he dies, he has one of the ghost face killer masks, and he's playing with it in the mirror in his office, and kind of doing like a taxi driver, like, you know, like, are you scared punk type thing in the mirror? And then all of a sudden, the actual killer appears behind him and stabs him. Yes. (laughs) 
And yes. it's perfect. Yep. What, one other real quick thing, and then we'll move on, is that there's an interesting theory going around. So, um, you know, obviously they reveal at the end of the movie that Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich are the two killers. But there's a theory that they couldn't have done it just those two because of uh, several scenes where they appeared too quickly after the killer was seen. So the theory is that uh, Dewey, uh, yep. or Dewey whatever, Arquette. uh, uh, Arquette's character was also in on the whole thing, but that's never revealed in any of the movies, whether he actually was or not. I loved Dewey as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I, I feel like, I, I could be wrong in this, but I always feel like Dewey was meant to die in the first movie, but I have a feeling that after they did test screenings, people were like so attached to Dewey that they had to do the BS where, you know, he gives the thumbs up on the way to the ambulance or whatever they did, yep. right? Yep. Yep. you know, to show that he's still okay. And I mean, he ended up carrying the franchise through the rest of the movies, but yeah. I, I, I just, the way it flows, I feel like he was supposed to die and they just decided that he was too great of a character to let him go and i'm glad they didn't yeah oh absolutely because right. he was like the pure one out of the group like he he was just kind Until of the met, mild... uh, courtney cox <laughs> yeah that's true that's true what was her dog. name gail something gail, gail summers w- i think w- it was gail was it or gail weathers or what was it gail yeah it was some... gail weathers yeah i think you're right I was like, in my head, I'm like, was it Storm? And I'm like, which one of these is Scary Movie and which one of these is... (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) All right, so I think that takes us to Paul. Well, uh, now that mine has been taken... Oh, was it Scream? I have to... It was. I have to go, like, don't worry. I'm used to having mine stolen, and I figured that this was going to be popular, so I came prepared. The debate I have is I don't know what I should go with next, so I think I'm... Ugh. Go with the one that is more likely to be picked first. I'm going to go with Child's Play from 1988. Great choice. choice. Great choice. I'm actually surprised no one's done that yes. one yet. Well, it's only on my list because I expected someone else to do it, but I wanted a reminder in case it didn't come up. That's an excellent yeah. movie, too. And another one kind yes. of like uh, Leprechaun, where it gets ridiculous in the sequels. Because <laughs> yes. the first two are like truly terrifying. I would say the first three. Yeah, yeah, the third yeah. one's pretty good, too. Yeah. So the general concept of the film is... A widowed mother gives her son a good guy doll, which is this year's uh, Christmas toy that everybody is raving. Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, And this doll happens to be mixed with the blood of a serial killer who was shot and killed by the police while escaping through the toy factory. Well, attempting to escape because he was shot and killed by the police. (laughs) Right. Right. His uh, soul is transferred into this doll. (laughs) Right. So the child receives the doll for his birthday, unaware that the doll is possessed. And boom, murder, chaos, and <laughs> everything ensues. There is some... I remember watching this. I didn't see it when it came out, because when it came out, I would have only been four, I think. Oh, so, um, so I'm surprised your family, family didn't see it. <laughs> oh, I saw it very early in the 90s. It, I guarantee you I was 10 or less. Wow. But... um. 
the uh, there was a great scene where he the doll strangles a guy in a car with a plastic bag and a string, yes. <laughs> and that freaked me the hell out when I was a little kid. I don't know why, but that's what got me to look in the back of the cars. None of these other movies where the killer comes out of the car and it's expected. I have never looked for that in my vehicle. I have always looked for Chucky, the good guy doll, yep. the redheaded child coming after you. <laughs> yeah. So. The way that, um, you know, my parents took us to see movies and we loved these things, you know, like I, I've always had a weird, like I've always seen movies before I was supposed to when I was growing up. My sister was completely obsessed with Chucky. She loved it. And really? If I was eight or nine, she would have been six or seven. Oh my gosh. So my sister had a stuffed Chucky doll that oh. she carried around like oh. it was like one of her baby dolls. Oh, no, I wouldn't have been able to do that. She kept it until we were in high school. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if she, like, still has it in storage somewhere. But I distinctly remember, like, there was a week that she was at camp, and I would have to walk past her room on my way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And so her door was, you know, because she wasn't there, she was away at camp. So her door was open, her bed was made, and the doll was sitting on top of her pillows. And I distinctly remember walking to the bathroom and about halfway I didn't need to go anymore (laughs) (laughs) and then turning around and walking back but there's just something about a toy or an inanimate object that you're not expecting that just I don't know this movie forever makes me feel that children's toys are creepy the (laughs) scariest thing in my mind like scarier than like sharks or snakes or anything like that is marionette dolls man like <laughs> yeah little puppets on strings they are so creepy Matt damon <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys i you know one thing i can say is thank you again for having me on the show but additionally that i listen to all your shows i listen to them twice i message paul several times throughout the month say dude i'm listening to this one now but i also follow your facebook so much and sorry this is a little sidebar thing but (laughs) you guys had posted something about you know on this day is the birthday of matt damon and before (laughs) i could even post it somebody already did they were like matt damon (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) continue i'm sorry (laughs) No, that's that's great. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> I was say, I, I think I'm pretty much wrapping up there. But if you've never seen Child's Play uh, about Chucky the Killer Doll, I think there are seven or eight of them at this point. Uh, Chucky is voiced by Brad Dorif, and he is amazing. He's an amazing voice actor. It's a very yes. iconic role. Even if it's not your cup of tea, I strongly encourage, just for pop culture's sake, that you watch one of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. man. Cool. So um, we're up to number one now. Before we get Bill started with his top pick, we always try to throw in honorable mentions at this time. Did you guys have any that you were really debating on putting on your list that you didn't? I did personally, and I hope I'm not stealing anybody's. Okay, go ahead. Do it. I, I, I want to go with, I know what you did last summer. That's, oh yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, you know, and you know, part of that just has a piece of my heart personally because 
I was, Jennifer Love I was, Hewitt. I was definitely, or, sorry. I was def- definitely <laughs> in love with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Um, <laughs> I, I, what, another sidebar here. I remember every day I would come home from school and right before Boy Meets World, there was a Neutrogena commercial that would play that had <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> and I feel so, the fact that I'm this old and I still remember that maybe says a little bit more about me than anything else. But, um, my, my, my personal honorable mention would be, I know what you did last summer. That's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. Adam, you got one or? Um, not in particular. No. I mean, there's there's a bunch of that I would uh, talk about, but um, I don't want to take anybody's. So sure, sure. So this one, um, I I always liked Deep Blue Sea, which is more of a splasher Ooh, film. Yeah. It's more more of a splasher than a slasher. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's a that's a in the vein of Anaconda. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah. But like I can think of like a I guess more of a traditional slasher. I always like Prom Night. Ooh, with with Jamie Lee Curtis well and Leslie yes. Nielsen in a serious role, and then Phantasm isn't really a slasher, but there's oh, a yeah. lot of people that die in that movie mm. because of the tall man. Bill and I <laughs> talked about that was actually when we were having our conversation. Yeah. Really? yeah, that I think was the, one of the. I think the first Phantasm is classified as a slasher. Personally. I would I would say so. Yeah. But as the sequel, as the series went on, it definitely fell into the more the the supernatural and aspect of things. But yeah, definitely. Man, I, until so, I have blocked Phantasm out of my mind until Bill mentioned it tonight, uh, earlier today when he and I were talking. And to be honest, there are a few movies that have affected me the way that Phantasm had. I mean, there are movies that I find scary enjoyable, and then there are movies that make me sit up all night with a loaded shotgun uh, <laughs> trembling. And Phantasm was one of those movies, man. It's a messed up movie. Yeah, it really oh, is. for sure. If you really, like, think about what's going on there, and then, like, I was afraid of mirrors for I don't know how long. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Or long hallways. Oh, gosh. Yes. And that guy is just super creepy. The, the, the tall, the tall man. man. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away this past year, but he finished the last Phantasm before he passed away. They're making wow. another one? It's already been already released. Made, yep. I believe it was re- released in July. Yeah, yeah it was kidding. over the summer, yeah. Is it is it Ravenger? I believe it was called Ravenger. I don't remember the actual title name for it, but yeah, it, it was um, mid, mid-late summer that that was released, yeah. Wow. I, I haven't watched it yet. I have watched all the ones up to that just for the sake of I'm a completionist. Yes. But it, I have to be in the right frame of mind to watch that movie and the lights have to be on and there has to be soft jazz in the background. <laughs> at least two empty seats next to him at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> for a different reason, though, a different kind of mess. <laughs> So, Paul, do you have any uh, honorable mentions? So, I have two honorable mentions. Uh, I was going to say three, but we mentioned Phantasm. So, Evil Dead is not technically a slasher movie. If we go by the criteria that Bill discussed earlier, that the bad person has to hold the slashing instrument or the bad you know a singular bad guy it doesn't fall into the tradition of the genre but i feel like evil dead should get an honorable mention because there's slashing there's gore there's weapons but there's a, there's, there's a weapons chainsaw. 
for yeah. a hand. <laughs> it was for it a was hand. a very low budget movie shot by a bunch of people in Michigan yes. that all went on to be my heroes and you know shaped who I am today. So I feel yep. like I have to mention Evil Dead mm-hmm. just cause. Um, but I can't say that it really falls into the category of a slasher. That's fair. Correct. And because I brought up Bruce Campbell, I will very briefly mention Maniac Cop from 1988. <laughs> uh, Maniac Cop is about a murderous ex-police officer who returns from the dead seeking revenge on all the people who wronged him. Uh, it was awesome. made for $1 million. It uh, spawned uh, two sequels, and it's the first two starred Bruce Campbell. Nice. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever seen any of those. Oh, really? Wow. So Maniac Cop was one of those, like, blockbuster staples. I don't think it did that great in the theaters. In fact, uh, as I look on Wikipedia real quick, it grossed $671,000 in uh, theaters on a $1 million budget. But I don't know of a single cult film fanatic that doesn't have that showcased in their collection. So I think it deserves an honorable mention. Interesting. It definitely had a blockbuster appeal. Yes. For sure. For sure. Um, have you guys seen that new Hellfest movie that just came out? That no, looks no. so good. Yes. It really was. A buddy of mine and I just you saw got, that a couple talk? weeks ago. Oh, dude. it's It has all of the, the cheese that you'd expect from like an 80s oh, slasher movie. Yes. Like, like something I've not seen in current movies because now everything is like saw and all of that stuff and like the over yeah the no top. no yeah right yeah. or it's like very demonic possession type stuff where this is like yeah you know there's this girl and there's this boy that they like each other but they don't like want to say it and everyone's like kind of like saying all this like really lewd stuff about how like you know they're gonna get busy and stuff like that and you know it, it's it's stuff that like you would see in the old friday the 13th movies and correct and, and um but it's shot i'm like, excited it, i'm it's, excited it's, for it's it. shot so well and uh the premise of the movie for those who haven't heard of it is it's basically a theme park that during october they turn into like a giant halloween place um full of like haunted houses and walkthroughs and stuff like that and one of the performers there that's wearing a mask, um, a similar mask to many of the other performers, is actually a serial killer. And you have no idea what's going on. And because everyone is like, you know, being stabbed, like, like you know, because it's, it's part of the part of the allure, right? If you're at the haunted house, people are constantly <laughs> getting stabbed, like with a fake knife or they're getting, you know, scared or jumped at with a chainsaw with no chain on it. And then, like, there's actual people dying. It's like, well, is that an effect, or did like someone actually die? And it's really cool. Right. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. So awesome. Didn't make I my top three, to but definitely one of the best movies I've seen uh, in that genre that's been released in the last five years. I would say. So very cool. I well, definitely want to check it out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, drum roll, please. <laughs> Bill, let's go with your number one, sir. All right, I'm actually I was I'm stuck a little bit between two of them, Uh-oh. and I I know I know which one I'm gonna go with, and if nobody else ends up picking the other one, I do want to bring up another honorable mention, but it's so good I don't want to bring it up yet. Okay, but right. both of them star Robert England. Ah, <laughs> nice. Yes. Well played. And the one I'm going to go with is the Nightmare on Elm Street, and specifically Nightmare on Elm Street Three: Dream oh. Warriors. 
Um, nice. That is surprising. And, I, well, knowing but, you, not terribly surprising, but the fact you go to the third one is a little bit surprising. Well, and, <laughs> well, I I, I could have gone with the second one also, um, but one thing that I think a lot of you people, and by you people I mean the host. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, one thing I think uh, you guys would recognize, and probably a lot of the audience as well, who is a fan of the genre, is typically the first three, the two or three, is what really makes the. It, it could go on, you know, Child's Play Seven, you know, it can go to Leprechaun Six, it can go on to Friday Thirteenth Twelve. Um, but the first three is always the kind of iconic first yeah. two, three, four. And, um, for me, I think Nightmare on Elm Street really peaked at this one. And it was because it was, uh, um, well, really budget. But on top of that, there's some just amazingly classic, um, executions of the nightmare, um, scenes of this. But for yeah. anybody who isn't aware of Nightmare on Elm Street, just a quick run through of that is, um, this town um, was um, pretty much stalked by a uh, pedophile, and they decided that they were going to rid him, get rid of him their own way and um, murder him and dispose of his body in a furnace in the school. Um, and he comes back and haunts the dreams of the children of the people who executed him. Um, this of course, um, was, um, originally created by Wes Craven. Yep. Um, yep. the third one was directed by Chuck, Chuck Russell, but you know, bringing up Wes Craven again, just somebody who's popped up on this, uh, series a lot today. Um, yes. started, he- started, uh, Heather Langenkamp, um, Patricia Arquette, um, La- um, Lawrence Fishburne, a very young Lawrence Fishburne, really? by the way. Yes. He, he, he played, um, um, if for anybody who doesn't know, this takes place in a dream asylum, um, um, insane asylum, essentially a viewing place of patients. And Lawrence Fishburne plays one of the uh, security guards um, kind of taking care of the patients. Um, also, Patricia Pointer, Craig Watson, and of course, the Freddy himself, Robert England. Um, the plot mostly focused on Freddy Krueger seeking to murder the last children of the parents that burn him to death. Um, the kids were in, the, as I stated, a mental institution where Freddy um, does not know of anybody there. But additionally, they did bring in one of the teachers or um, one, one of the people kind of overseeing the patients here. Um, her name was, or the character's name was Nancy Thompson, who was actually played by, um, I believe it was uh, Priscilla Pointer. Um, um, she was in the very first film, who is heavily aware who Freddy is and is kind of ready to train these remaining few to rid the world of Freddy. Um, mm, gotcha. But opens up um, we see um, the pre- previous character from the film kind of waking up thinking that Freddy is gone. Um, she's kind of captured herself in there. She ends up waking up in this dream and um, her parents discover slashing her wrist, which ends up getting her instituted in here. And she ends up being introduced to several different characters, um, some of which are, is uh, Philip, a habitual sleepwalker, a tough kid from the streets. Um uh, a hopeful television actress, kind of your 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 tropes of the um, mid late eighties. Yes, everything yeah. you always kind of wanted. 
Well, um, eventually, through some other type of things, um, she is stalked by Freddy and reveals that she's able to pull people into her own dreams, of course. And that's what ends up bringing in to the Dream Warriors, hence the subtitle name of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Um, you know, and over the next couple of nights, Freddy's able to stalk some of the some of the children, one of which is one of my favorite iconic. And I think it was even used in uh, Freddy versus Jason in the intro where um, Freddy ends up slitting the wrists and legs open of um, the sleepwalker character. And it's like they're pulling <laughs> the tendons out of his mm-hmm. wrist and kind of walking him around like a marionette. I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Cringe, cringe, cringe. But he, you know, it's all in his dream. And, you know, you see him kind of walking, kind of looks like he's, you know, just almost like a zombie. But then you see the dream aspect of it. And he's just these tendons and things are just pulling out of him and ends up leading him to the top of the tower. And Freddy's just like, I've got you, bitch. <laughs> you know, cuts the tendons. And, he, of course, he falls to his death. And, um, you know, it's just to, to, to me, Freddy Krueger and, you know, a lot of these other iconic ones, you know, one of which I brought up earlier, um, Michael Myers, you know, one thing that always really kind of worked with them was bringing an element to real that was fantasy. And for me, you know, Freddy Krueger, the idea of these nightmarish things, Freddy Krueger being a maggot eating you or, you know, a giant Freddy Krueger playing you as a, as a, as, um, you know, a puppet or whatnot. It was just the way they executed them by this point was just so on point to me. And, uh, and of course it fits the genre slasher because, well, Tink, tink, tink. <laughs> you know, the, 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 those, uh, the garden hedge uh, blades were just, it, it's just, to me, it's frightening, fun, laughable, and it just, it, it's my number one. I think that's a great, great choice, Bill. That's awesome. So, Adam, Agreed. how about you? <laughs> okay. And, so uh, little... Well, before we go, real, real quick, sorry. Yeah. Does anybody have any other Nightmare on Elm Street real memories? Any, any classic kills? Um, any one that I kind of maybe missed in the genre itself that maybe well, needs there, pointing out. There Wes was... Craven's new nightmare from 97. And yes, I think the, the reason that sticks with me, it was the reimagining where, uh, in that movie, Freddy Krueger was a character played on TV, but then the actress who played Nancy starts seeing Freddy in her dreams, and he's going after her son. And that movie mm-hmm. will always stick with me because it kind of was what Wes Craven did with Scream, where he right. played on the cliches yeah. and he broke the fourth wall where they knew they were in a movie, sort of. Or it was, you know, a movie about a movie. Right. But I thought that was a great true end to the series, even yes. though they continued on past it. I thought that was a perfect wrap up overall. Correct. Yes. Great point. Great point. One that I uh, particularly enjoyed, I believe it was in the first film, <laughs> was the uh, death scene of a very young Johnny Depp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, frightening, you know, very frightening scene. Yes. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, in the first one, Johnny Depp's character is like the love interest of the gir- the main character. He's laying in bed one night, and all of a sudden, like a hole opens up in his bed, and he gets sucked through it. And then a literal fountain of blood, like like a column a of gushing, blood, shoots. Yeah, yes. yeah, just shoots out of the bed. 
It was a depth blender. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think his best work since Yoga Hosers. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, well yeah. played. Nice. Good movie. Welcome to primetime, bitch. <laughs> Adam, you want to give us your number one? or? Yeah, okay. So I'm having a little conundrum here, so you guys are going to help me solve this. Uh, I have two of them, but I, uh, and they are legitimately neck and neck. I don't know which one I would rank higher in this uh, circumstance. So I'm going to have you guys decide. I have uh, a coin here with me. I'm going to flip. Heads or tails? Always heads. Heads? Head. Head. All right. What do we want? <laughs> uh, <Heads>. the, <laughs> it was tails, mm-hmm. and uh, my predetermined tails was American Psycho. My Ooh. my heads was going to be uh, the original Psycho movie. Um, mm-hmm. So they're very neck and neck for me. But uh, American Psycho is unbelievable. Uh, as I mentioned before, Scream was going to be my first, but I would definitely put this in my top five so i'll put it put it up as my top uh one here uh so american psycho is a brilliant movie in that it is a like kind of scathing look at uh corporate america and it just the the culture behind corporate america you know everything's uh everything is a contest you know there there's scenes in there where they're having these contests to see who has a better business card uh <laughs> Uh, who yep. who can get the the most uh, difficult to get reservation at like the nicest uh, restaurants in the town, all this kind of stuff. It's just basically about like what corporate America, like what corporate America was like back in the nineties. Right. But what makes this movie truly shine is you have Christian Bale playing the lead character of Patrick Bateman, and he plays a guy who's a senior vice president at some financial corporation something like that in new york and he you can tell that something's a little off about him he seems to kind of have like this anger deep inside of him and it shows up in little bits here and there like occasionally it'll just be him like fantasizing about like stabbing somebody or something when he's talking to them but then you see these little bit more graphic scenes for instance there's a scene uh, featuring Jared Leto's character, yep. who who is one of the guys that has managed to one-up Patrick Bateman, and he can't let that slide. And so he invites him out to drinks uh, at a Mexican restaurant, and they go and they have these drinks, and he gets them all nice and drunk. And he brings them back to his apartment, and he starts waxing poetically about the career of, I believe that one was Phil Collins in no, Genesis. Huey Lewis in the. Oh, Huey you're right. Lewis that news. one was Huey Lewis in the news. You're correct. Uh, and so he's waxing poetically about the career of Huey Lewis in the news. All the while, Jared Leto's character is sitting drunk on the uh, couch, completely oblivious to the fact that Patrick Bateman has now put a plastic, uh, like, bag basically over his suit laid out a bunch of newspapers on the floor and then pulls out an (laughs) axe and uh then you know off screen you don't see it but he kills uh supposedly jared leto's character uh later on you see a, a similar scene uh with some uh women of the night if you will that he has hired uh who he then ends up chasing around and in one of the more 
I, I guess just unbelievable, but kind of iconic scenes of that movie. He's chasing uh, one of the girls who finds like a bunch of dead bodies in his closet and stuff like that. And he chases her out of the apartment. As you do, with, you know. Yeah. Uh, of course. He, he chases her out of the apartment with a chainsaw and she Black makes naked. it. What, what's up? And he's butt naked. Yes. Yes. He's naked. <laughs> and, and so he chases her out and then she, he like, is following her as she's running down and you can see he's kind of trying to figure something out all of a sudden he just drops the chainsaw and it's all of a sudden you hear just this splat as it hits the girl and then it looks Mm. down and she's got a chainsaw sticking out of her spine but in one of kind of the more interesting twists at the end uh he thinks that his whole world is coming down he thinks he's gonna get caught by the police because he killed a security guard at the front of a uh, condo building. A lot of stuff, yeah. Yeah, like all this crazy stuff happens. And then uh, he calls his lawyer and confesses everything and is uh, goes to turn himself in the next morning or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, that was a weird joke. And like nobody believed him. <laughs> and that's kind of how the movie ends. So you don't, like you never quite know, is this like a fantasy of some guy who's going crazy over like the the extent of corporate America and like what it does, or did he actually do this? But all these people are, he's just like nuts. D- yeah. dead enough inside. Yeah. That they don't think he's serious or whatever. I was so confused the first time I saw the end of that movie, <laughs> but it is such a great movie. And there's so many great moments in there because he's such a, like he's got this like such hatred and anger built up in him but then he goes on these great little rants about like Huey Lewis in the news or yeah. uh it's very and, playful but hateful at the same time yeah yeah he's talking about like you know Phil Collins like oh yeah Genesis uh went mainstream with this album uh they really hit their stride with such and such an album and particularly this song but then he's doing these horrible things while doing it yeah <laughs> Kind of almost like a Dexter type character. Yes, very yes. But a very unlikable version of Dexter because you know, at least with Dexter, so Dexter was that. meets Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, um, and a little sidebar of that too. One of my, you know, one of the things that made that character great too was his little sidebar stuff that he would do himself. He'd be in these little situations mm-hmm. and that would be kind of the elements of the psycho that would actually come out. One of which was, um, I think it's one of my favorite parts was, you know, he's sitting at this bar and, you know, he's trying to get this drink and she's kind of taking her time. She's got a little bit of an attitude and he just goes off on this, you know, violent, uh, <laughs> um, obscene rant. And he just kind of ends it. And he's just like, I want to, cover my body with your blood yeah she comes back with the drinks she's like there you go and he's like thanks big <laughs> smile and walks on. Like, but he, and, and that goes back to what he what uh adam was saying earlier it's like you know is this in his head is this things that he's just saying and nobody's just giving a crap about because you know well he's psycho <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? and, and, and i love that element too of what they did with that film mm-hmm very much. Awesome. It definitely it does a great description of the time period. Everything about it is iconic. Oh yeah. Um, until you mentioned it, I wouldn't have thought to include it necessarily as a slasher, but it definitely fits. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think definitely. so too. Definitely. Awesome, awesome. So my number one 
we've already kind of discussed uh, another from this series, so we don't need to talk about it a ton, um, but it is the very first Halloween film, uh, 1978, yeah. uh, directed nice. and created and composed uh, by John Carpenter, who is one of yes. my all-time favorite directors. Um, you know, having worked on little known films like Starman, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, The Fog, The Thing, um, Assault on yeah. Precinct 13, yeah. <laughs> Ghosts of Mars, yeah, uh, Village, Village of the Damned. Uh, yep. <laughs> if you're going really late in his career, um, but yeah, it's uh, that to me, uh, once again was right up there with Scream as one of the very first. Uh, slasher films that I had seen. I think what I like about it so much is because the budget was so low. It was only $300,000 yep. and, and it ended up grossing $70 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it, it was less about the gore and things like that and a lot more about the suspense. suspense. Exactly, yes. exactly. So seeing him standing there in the backyard with like the, the sheets and the towels and stuff blowing in the wind on the clothesline... Mm-hmm. And then, like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, that type of stuff was so creepy. And the, and the music so good, too. Oh, my gosh. Even, oh, the, yeah. even the cliffhanger going along with that, like, that was one of the best cliffhangers in a, oh, yeah. a, a horror film I've ever seen. Like, he falls oh, off yeah. the balcony. They look down, and he's laying there all Taking splayed five up. bullets to the chest. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then they look back, and... Oh man, he's gone. Where did he go? Like, what's what's going on? <laughs> and and the biggest name in the movie uh, is Jamie Lee Curtis, and she plays uh, Mike Myers' sister. Um, she's also in movies like Freaky Friday, uh, True Lies. Which That's is... your go-to before True Lies, <laughs> really. I always, I always, I always trading places. I always, I, I always tee it up and then I swing for it. Activia? That's how I go. Yeah, that was literally, I literally have it in my notes, Bill. Uh, <laughs> is I, I have parentheses, Freaky Friday, True Lies, close, close parentheses, arrow up, Activia. Don't forget to mention Activia. Um, so yeah, she is the yogurt lady as well. Um, but this role in particular, I think, is just so great because she is scared, she's vulnerable, and yes. she transforms... Hot. That too. Uh, but then she transforms into like a real badass, you know? Yes. Yep. I mean, she essentially has to kill her brother. And her brother, like the whole story behind this is he was like, I don't know, he was like 10 years old and like tried to kill his family on Halloween. And yep. so he got locked away in a mental institution and he escapes. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous movie. Um, like I said, anything that John Carpenter's ever really done, except for Village of the Damned, I didn't really care for that. But um, for shame, sir. I mean, I love that Christopher Reeves is in it; he's amazing. But um, uh, yeah, I just... <laughs> it's not one of my favorite movies he's done. <laughs> but I love John Carpenter, and this movie, like I said, was one of the very first that I ever watched uh, that kind of got me into. Literally, like, the Halloween season in general. Before that, it was just candy and costumes. And then all of a sudden, it was like, wow, there is, like, this really cool, dark element that that can be explored more. Um, Mm -hmm. um, But, yeah, since we already talked about Halloween 3, we can kind of go over to Paul's. And, um, Paul, do you want to close out? And then, then Bill, if we haven't talked about your other movie, we can certainly discuss that, too. 
So, um, I struggled with choosing this as my number one because I have a feeling that not many of you have heard of it. But it has stuck with me as the greatest shock ending to a movie that I have ever personally witnessed like i mean there have been plenty of you know usual suspects and things of that nature like wow i didn't see that coming but this movie was like jaw on the floor broken glass as i dropped the coffee cup you know the whole um did not see this coming and that movie is sleepaway camp from 1983 (laughs) yes yes I, I'm so glad you picked that. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> um, it was a hard choice. It really was between Sleepaway Camp and Friday the 13th because Ooh. nobody mentioned Friday the 13th. I, know, I, thought, that was low, I thought that was low. I thought that was fruit. way too easy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So I will say I will say this in a quick rant just so we can give a nod to Halloween Free. So I will say Halloween probably started this genre in 1978. Uh, Friday the 13th took it to the next level and gave it the more than just the suspenseful ending, but added the twist. Yeah. Yeah. So Sleepaway Camp also, uh, when it was released, depending on where you were in the country, it was also billed as Nightmare Vacation. Mm. Mm, Okay. Um, And it took basically the same general story of Halloween, but put its own demented spin on it. So the general gist is there are two twins, Angela and Peter, Mm -hmm. and the movie opens and they are on vacation with their parents and they're on a sailboat and the sailboat, like a catamaran style, and it flips over and they are floating alongside the boat and another boat full of like drunken party teenagers comes by and does not see them and runs over the entire family. And... The gist is only one of them survived, and that is Angela, who goes to live with her aunt. And seven years later, uh, she is sent to a, you know, typical teenage, stereotypical summer camp, not unlike Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, This is Camp Arawak. And uh, at this camp, shortly after they get there, uh, grizzly killings start to begin, as these things do at summer camp, which is why my kids are never going there. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the movie follows this young girl as she's kind of socially awkward, and she starts to have a mild love interest in another boy there whose name is Paul. I don't know why I remembered that. Uh, Could Um, be because your name's Paul? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. And as it progresses, many people get killed. It had a higher body count than movies of that time frame that I can remember, and it had crazy over-the-top ways to kill people. I mean, more commonly than not, they used a knife, but there was a boiling water death long before Friday the 13th did it with the hot tub and so on and so forth. And then the movie, I'm, I'm struggling, Bill, because you've seen it. I don't know if I should give the ending away. But the ending has a twist that you never see coming. And not then only, definitely don't give it away. Not only do you not see it coming, but the way it's revealed to you is utterly shocking. Yes. Like when I said, you know, like drop the glass on the floor, it is that. Yes. 
Because I'm going to need to see this, so definitely don't give it away. <laughs> and I really struggle to say it's, that it's a great movie. See, here's the thing, is the movie is much better not, written. Yes. It, it's much, it was much better. You could definitely tell the writers knew what they were doing and what they wanted, and the production company really couldn't deliver. But it, the writing is so strong that it comes through in the movie regardless, Correct. if that makes sense. Yes. And I... I, like I said, I struggled to say it's a great movie because the acting is not on par with many of the other movies we listed tonight, and that includes Leprechaun 4. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and the other part of it, too, is a lot of the characters and actors in the movie are actually the age they're portraying on the screen or not far from it. It's not like Scream where people in their 30s are portraying High people that yeah. are like 16, 17. <laughs> yeah. These are, for the most part, are actually kids. And I think that gives it a lot more impact when you see them get mangled and beheaded. And yes, um, the movie mm. went on to produce three additional sequels, uh, all starring Pamela Springsteen, who is Bruce Springsteen's sister. Yes. Awesome. She also, no kidding. She also was uh, one of the female leads in um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yes. Yep. Wow, so the uh, there technically are five, but the original fourth movie was halted mid-production, and if you buy the box set, you can see the parts of the movie that were filmed. Wow, that's uh, like cool. you can actually watch them. And then a couple of years ago, they released a they you know new writer, new director, but they brought back Pamela, and they made a true fourth one that ignored what they had originally shot and mm-hmm. tried to like wrap up the series. But if you're a fan of this genre, it's it's a must watch. It is it is very graphic in comparison. It's um, in many it's something. ways. In many ways, it is. <laughs> yes, Bill. Do you have any other uh, any thoughts that you want to give on that before we move off? You, you know, I I really wish I could, but it, as you said, there, there's just. The way it's written is very, very well done. It's just the final execution isn't there. And, you know, I'm guilty of that in my own writing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not trying to critique that way. But the twist ending is very, very graphic and uh, also very shocking as it occurs. And, um, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things that will stick with you forever. Yes. So, um, so... Bill, real quick, did you have like um, a quick I just had a, sixty seconds on your other on your other movie? Absolutely, and I'm, I'll make it actually really, really super quick. And to be honest, Robert England just makes a uh, quick appearance in it, but it is the Hatchet series. If any of you know any yes. of that, Victor Crowley. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. It's a little bit more modern, but the first film was made just outside of our time period that we were kind of looking for, but still think it fits. It's definitely a heavily slasher um, fits the comedy fits, the violence fits, the sexuality. Um, and it's, just, it's, it's a very fun series and it just gets more and more and more obscene in every single way as the series continues on. So anybody gets a chance, watch hats, hatchet or Victor Crowley. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll definitely have to do that. Well, um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that's covered here. Um, we'll likely be posting stuff on YouTube as well, kind of like maybe like the, the scores or the uh, cinematic trailers or something like that from these movies. Um, so you definitely want to check that out. Um, you'll definitely also want to check out on the 28th of October, 
Homecoming 2 um, from Thank Zoss you. Films. So definitely Thank make sure you. to check that out. And thanks for sharing that update with us, Bill. And thanks for joining us tonight, too. This has been a hell of a time, man. We always enjoy having you on the show. So Thank it's, you so much. And I'm glad that you guys had me on here. I much appreciate it. Yeah, it's it. nice that Adam and I actually got to participate this time. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. very much. You guys had uh, your bonding moment last time. Well, uh <laughs> And uh, to all of you out there in Internet world, thank you again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. I forgot you were here. Hello, Internet. (laughs) (laughs) That fourth wall just got broken. (laughs) So if you guys like what you heard, there's always more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us in the show. And you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us your submissions at datingourselvespodcast at AOL.com. We've got mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. We post additional content on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us there at datingourselvespodcast, and we do the Twitter thing too, at datedpodcast. And remember to check out Homecoming 2 on October 28th. And But also, <laughs> if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dating. Thanks, guys. Yep, thanks, guys. Thanks.